Section one of the works of Robert G. Ingersoll, Volume three, Lectures, Shakespeare. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Lecture one, Shakespeare, Part one. William Shakespeare was the greatest genius of our world. He left to us the richest legacy of all the dead, the treasures of the rarest soul that ever lived and loved and wrought of words, the statues, pictures, robes, and gems of thought. It is hard to overstate the debt we owe to the men and women of genius. Take from our world what they have given, and all the niches would be empty, all the walls naked. Meaning and connection would fall from words of poetry and fiction, music would go back to common air, and all the forms of subtle and enchanting art would lose proportion and become the unmeaning waste and shattered spoil of thoughtless chance. Shakespeare is too great a theme. I feel as though endeavoring to grasp a globe so large that the hand obtains no hold. He who would worthily speak of the great dramatist should be inspired by a muse of fire that should ascend the brightest heaven of invention he should have a kingdom for a stage and monarchs to behold the swelling scene yes more than three centuries ago the most intellectual of the human race was born he was not of supernatural origin at his birth there were no celestial pyrotechnics his father and mother were both english and both had a cheerful habit of living in this world the cradle in which he was rocked was canopied by neither myth nor miracle and in his veins there was no drop of royal blood this babe became the wonder of mankind neither of his parents could read or write he grew up in a small and ignorant village on the banks of the avon in the midst of the common people of three hundred years ago there was nothing in the peaceful, quiet landscape on which he looked, nothing in the low hills, the cultivated and undulating fields, and nothing in the murmuring stream to excite the imagination, nothing, so far as we can see, calculated to sow the seeds of the subtlest and sublimest thought. So there is nothing connected with his education, or his lack of education, that in any way accounts for what he did it is supposed that he attended school in his native town but of that we are not certain many have tried to show that he was after all of gentle blood but that fact seems to be the other way some of his biographers have sought to do him honor by showing that he was patronized by queen elizabeth but of this there is not the slightest proof as a matter of fact there never sat on any throne a king queen or emperor who could have honored william shakespeare ignorant people are apt to overrate the value of what is called education the sons of the poor having suffered the privations of poverty think of wealth as the mother of joy on the other hand the children of the rich finding that gold does not produce happiness are apt to underrate the value of wealth so the children of the educated often care but little for books and hold all culture in contempt the children of great authors do not as a rule become writers 
nature is filled with tendencies and obstructions extremes beget limitations even as a river by its own swiftness creates obstructions for itself possibly many generations of culture breed a desire for the rude joys of savagery and possibly generations of ignorance breed such a longing for knowledge that of this desire of this hunger of the brain genius is born it may be that the mind by lying fallow by remaining idle for generations gathers strength shakespeare's father seems to have been an ordinary man of his time and class about the only thing we know of him is that he was officially reported for not coming monthly to church this is good as far as it goes we can hardly blame him because at that time richard byfield was the minister at stratford and an extreme puritan one who read the psalter by sternhold and hopkins the church was at one time catholic but in john shakespeare's day it was puritan and in fifteen sixty four the year of shakespeare's birth they had the images defaced it is greatly to the honor of john shakespeare that he refused to listen to the tidings of great joy as delivered by the puritan byfield nothing is known of his mother except her beautiful name mary arden in those days but little attention was given to the biographies of women they were born married had children and died no matter how celebrated their sons became the mothers were forgotten in old times when a man achieved distinction great pains were taken to find out about the father and grandfather the idea being that genius is inherited from the father's side the truth is that all great men have had great mothers great women have had as a rule great fathers the mother of shakespeare was without doubt one of the greatest of women she dowered her son with passion and imagination and the higher qualities of the soul beyond all other men it has been said that a man of genius should select his ancestors with great care and yet there does not seem to be as much in heredity as most people think the children of the great are often small pygmies are born in palaces while over the children of genius is the roof of straw most of the great are like mountains with the valley of ancestors on one side and the depression of posterity on the other in his day shakespeare was of no particular importance it may be that his mother had some marvellous and prophetic dreams but stratford was unconscious of the immortal child he was never engaged in a reputable business socially he occupied a position below servants the law described him as a sturdy vagabond he was neither a noble a soldier nor a priest among the half-civilized people of england he who amused and instructed them was regarded as a menial kings had their clowns the people their actors and musicians shakespeare was scheduled as a servant it is thus that successful stupidity has always treated genius mozart was patronized by an archbishop lived in the palace but was compelled to eat with the scullions the composer of divine melodies was not fit to sit by the side of the theologian who long ago would have been forgotten but for the fame of the composer we know but little of the personal peculiarities of the daily life or of what may be called the outward shakespeare and it may be fortunate that so little is known 
he might have been belittled by friendly fools what silly stories what idiotic personal reminiscences would have been remembered by those who scarcely saw him we have his best his sublimest and we have probably lost only the trivial and the worthless all that is known can be written on one page we are tolerably certain of the date of his birth of his marriage and of his death we think he went to london in fifteen eighty six when he was twenty-two years old we think that three years afterward he was part owner of blackfriars theatre we have a few signatures some of which are supposed to be genuine we know that he bought some land that he had two or three lawsuits we know the names of his children we also know that this incomparable man so apart from and so familiar with all the world lived during his literary life in london that he was an actor dramatist and manager that he returned to stratford the place of his birth that he gave his writings to negligence deserted the children of his brain that he died on the anniversary of his birth at the age of fifty-two and that he was buried in the church where the images had been defaced and that on his tomb was chiselled a rude absurd and ignorant epitaph no letter of his to any human being has been found and no line written by him can be shown and here let me give my explanation of the epitaph shakespeare was an actor a disreputable business but he made money always reputable he came back from london a rich man he bought land and built houses some of the supposed great probably treated him with deference when he died he was buried in the church then came a reaction the pious thought the church had been profaned they did not feel that the ashes of an actor were fit to lie in holy ground the people began to say the body ought to be removed then it was as i believe that dr john hall shakespeare's son-in-law had this epitaph cut on the tomb good friend for jesus sake forbear to dig the dust and close it here blessed be ye man that spares these stones and cursed be he yet moves my bones certainly shakespeare could have had no fear that his tomb would be violated how could it have entered his mind to have put a warning a threat and a blessing upon his grave but the ignorant people of that day were no doubt convinced that the epitaph was the voice of the dead and so feeling they feared to invade the tomb in this way the dust was left in peace this epitaph gave me great trouble for years it puzzled me to explain why he who erected the intellectual pyramids great ranges of mountains should put such a pebble at his tomb but when i stood beside the grave and read the ignorant words the explanation i have given flashed upon me end of section one